Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Well, we are um, celebrating Easter and a big welcome to everybody that's here. And one of the things I love most about Easter is that we are literally joining millions of people around the world on this very important and special occasion, joining millions of people as we celebrate what Christ has done on the cross for His people, for for the world. And uh, I love Easter. I celebrate it. I have been eating hot cross buns from Boxing Day all the way through to today. And I, I, I like for some of you, you think that it's a problem when Coles bring it out on Boxing Day. I pray for that day. I look forward to that day. I think we should celebrate Easter all year round. I would be happy to have nonstop supply. Is anybody with me this morning? Like, okay, so you are the people that are closest to Jesus, all right? So, so that's one of the things that I love. But we did not get together today because it is the last day that we get hot cross buns. We got together today because there is good news on Easter. And at the center of good news is the person of Jesus. He is the central focus of the gospel. He is the central focus of the Bible. If you open the Bible to the very middle, you will not find his name necessarily in there, but he is the central focus for the Bible. Everything about the scriptures points to the person of Jesus. History divides on his birth. We split it into BC and AD, and it divides on the birth of Jesus Christ. He is the most significant person to exist in human history. And on on this weekend, we give him glory and praise and honor. And I love Easter because if Easter had a message, it is this, that God loves the world. How good is that message? God loves the world. In fact, the Scriptures say this, and I I love John 3.16. It's such a well-known Scripture. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, and whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. But it then goes on to say that He didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world would be saved by Him. If you don't go to church very often, one of the things that you might think is that church is really about God being angry with people, and we come here to make Him happy. No, 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 no. We come here to worship God and He is worthy of all of our praise, but He loves people. And Easter is a, is, is a weekend which really personifies how much He really did love and, 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 and loved people and, and as a result died for them. I think if we were going to fully appreciate the significance of Jesus' death on the cross and what He did this weekend over 2,000 years ago, if we're going to appreciate that, we have to understand the nature of the problem. And I don't know what you think your biggest problem is today. Like for some of you, maybe you think your biggest problem today is that the shops are closed and you did not do enough shopping yesterday. And and like, I was among the many, many people. It's crazy. You know, like we go to the shops yesterday and it's like doomsday preppers, you know, like everybody, I don't know what you think is going to happen in the next 24 hour period. Most of you could survive without eating anyway, but you go to the shops and people are like grabbing hot cross buns, like, you know, and, and, and it's getting crazy out there, you know, but, but, you know, it's, you know, it's one of those weekends. It's one of those days where people get ready and they get prepared for it, you know, and if you didn't get prepared, you might think that's your biggest problem. It's not. The scriptures say that the biggest problem that we have is this thing we call sin. And for those of you that would be new to church and and maybe you don't quite know what sin is, I thought I'd take a moment just to explain it so that we are all on the same page. 
The Bible says that you've been designed and intended. You have been created with purpose. You've been created on purpose. And maybe for some of you, you you find that hard to believe. I tell you this today. You are not the result of your parents getting together. You are not the result of biology. And even if you have, you look over your life and you see all the mistakes that you've made and you may think, gosh, my life is a mistake. I tell you this, it is not a mistake. Jesus intended for you to be alive in this moment at this point in time. Even if your parents didn't plan it, God did. He knew you'd be here, right here, right now. And so your life has purpose and meaning attached to it. Here's the issue though, is that when we live just outside of what that purpose is, that's, that's error, you know, and the Bible calls that error sin. It means, it might mean that it's just to the left of center, that you're just living outside of your intended and designed and created purpose. And the truth says everybody at some point in their life has probably just lived a little left of center. You've just made uh, some mistakes. You've colored outside the lines. I know that there are things that are so far left of center that they're so far out there that most of us would look at it and acknowledge, yep, well, that was definitely sin or we, we kind of have some idea of what it is. But really, if you want to get biblical, and we will, if you want to get biblical about it, right? It means it's, it might be just a fraction. It might be just living outside of your purpose. The Bible says that's sin and sin is serious. Every story has an origin and this story has an origin. If you open the Bible, you'll find the book of Genesis. It's the first book uh, of the Bible. And in the beginning, it tells the story of God creating two people, Adam and Eve. Hands up if you've heard Adam and Eve. So, so God created these two people, Adam and Eve, and He gave them the run of everything in the garden. I mean, literally, these guys could do whatever they wanted to do. But there was one thing that they were not supposed to do, and it was to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they could have filled their days with so many things, but there they were, hanging out by the tree. This is the thing that I don't get. I don't understand why they're hanging around that tree in the first place. I never understand that part of the story. Like, honestly, if I was made and I was married to Eve, I'd say, hey, babe, we're going to draw the safety zone so far back from, from that tree so that we don't accidentally find ourselves in a conversation with a snake one day, you know? We, we want to be so far back from, from the danger zone. Some of you, you know technically, the, have you ever met somebody that technically says, you know, I'm not really sinning, but they're hanging out so far, so close to the edge of the cliff that at any moment they could make just one small mistake and step off. Well, that's exactly what Adam and Eve did. So here they are in the garden. And, and what does the devil say to them? But he says, I, I, you, you guys can eat the fruit. They said, no, we can't. We said, if, if we eat the fruit, then of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that we were told that on that day we would surely die. The devil said, no, 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 that's fine. You can eat the fruit. So we know what they did. They ate the fruit, right? And honestly, this makes me mad because to be honest, Adam had one job, okay? He had one job. He had one thing that he was supposed to do. And the one thing he was supposed to do was the one thing that he didn't do. He had one law that he had to stay fixed on. One thing that he just had to think about. And he couldn't even get that right. It's so important that we understand in the very beginning that God said to Adam and Eve that the day that you eat of the fruit, you will die. In other words, that was the one guiding principle. Let's call it a law. So he said, I'm going to create just one law in this place called Eden. One law. You don't eat the, don't eat the fruit, right? They broke it. The reason we can say that they broke it is because it existed. 
See, you can't break a law that doesn't exist. If laws don't exist, then you can't break them and you're totally innocent of them, right? So they broke that one law. Now, this is where it starts to get a little bit crazy. So Adam and Eve broke the law. And then for a period of time, people are trying to work to get into God's good graces. So hundreds of years later, do you know what people actually said to God? They said, you know what? We think we figured this thing out. We think we know how we're going to become better people, right? If you give us more laws, then we'll know all the things that we're supposed to do. And if we know what all the things are that you want us to do, that will give us the capacity to be able to... Can you believe this? This is insane. The people who actually ask for more laws. Hey, God, have any of you got kids? When have your kids ever said to you, Dad, you know what I would love? Just more rules around the house. You know, Dad, if you would just give us a few more rules, that would change my behavior, right? And yet, smart, educated adults, they were like, oh God, give us more rules. So he did. He gave them 613 sort of rules and guides and and, and laws, right? And when you put them all together, they called it the law, okay? So they put 600, yeah, they weren't very creative with the names, you know? So 613 rules together and, and they called it the law. And that was the thing that was supposed to help them. The only problem was it didn't. You know, it's like now they just knew more stuff that they weren't supposed to do. And they kept doing it. If you, if, if you know what you're not supposed to do and, and you know that you sometimes struggle with doing it, you are in good company today because everybody does stuff that they know that they shouldn't do. Just, you know what, do this right now. Why don't you look at the person next to you and just nod your head like you're looking at them saying, I know you've got some problems. I know, I know, that, I know that there are some things, right? You know what's funny about this? It's in the service before. All the married people, just like in this service, they look at the person they're married to and they're like, I know all of your problems. Like, I, these definitely exist, you know? And, and so, you know, they knew, they, they had all these uh, uh, rules that they were supposed to obey. And, you know, Paul the Apostle, he said this. He said, you know, I, I didn't really know what it was to covet. And then the law said, don't covet. And now I kind of want to do it. Because when you know what you're not supposed to do, it kind of puts the idea in your head. Now you know what you're not supposed to do, but it doesn't actually enable you to do it. It's actually easier to sin after God gave the law because now they've got a whole heap more things that they can sin about. Now people are sitting to the left and right and center. And the problem was is that they just couldn't fix this issue. People tried to fix this issue, but they couldn't. I want to read a scripture to you. It comes out of Romans chapter 5. In verse 12, it says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man is Adam. That's the man that sin came through. And death through sin, because death was the penalty of sin. So death came and it spread to all men uh, because all sins. See, this is the thing. They couldn't help it. Everyone just kept sinning. Everyone kept doing what they knew they shouldn't do. For indeed sin was in the world before the law was given. We already just heard that. But sin is not counted where there's no law because you can't break a law that doesn't exist. Verse 14, it says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. I don't know if anybody has ever had somebody in their life that embarrasses them. You know, like if, if, you're, if you're a... An adult that has children, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. 
Like sometimes my kids, you know, God bless them, they'll ask questions that, that are totally innocent, but they can sometimes still be embarrassing, like when we are at Bunnings and one of them looks and they see a man standing next to us and they say things like, Dad, why is that man bold? Right? And I'm like, you know, it's an innocent question. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But it is embarrassing when he's right next to you. And you're like, well, I don't know. He's just follically challenged. I, I, don't, I'm, I don't know, right? They, they will ask innocent questions. They ask questions like, Dad, why is that man black? I'm like, I don't know. God made him that way, you know? Like they, they, so this is my kids, right? This is, this is what they do. So we're out recently, and, and we are at it. Like a, it's like a park, and they had, this, they had this unicorn that people would want to get a photo with, right? And so there were steps up to it, and you can sit on the unicorn, and, and you know, people get their photos taken. So a lot of tourists are there, and they want to get their photos. And anyway, we arrived before everyone else, right? And there was a problem with the unicorn, is that the horn wouldn't stay attached to the unicorn. It's just a horse if it doesn't have a, have, have a horn attached. No one, no one wants a photo with a horse, so they want to turn it into a unicorn. So my kids are trying to turn this thing into a unicorn. The horn's fallen off, right? So they go, I know, we'll turn it around the reverse way. They stick the horn back into the head and, and jam it in there. And then they, and they don't care. They're like, great, problem solved, you know? Looks a little weird, but whatever. So anyway, they've done that. And then all these tourists, you know, they start showing up and they want to get a photo with this unicorn. So they start climbing up and they get on top of the unicorn and they see that the horn is jammed in the head. So they start trying to, you know, get the horn out, but they couldn't do it, right? So, so my kids start laughing at them, right? Which wouldn't be bad, but they're two feet from us, right? And just to be clear, they were pointing and laughing. And my kids can laugh loud, right? So they're laughing and they're pointing at these people. And I'm like, shh, 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 you know, and, they, and, and these people are trying to get the horn out. Eventually they get the horn out and they try to put it back on the head the reverse way and it falls off and they pick it up and they put it on and it falls off. My son, Judah, he's laughing so much at this point. He says this at the top of his voice, that you should be recording this. We should put this on Fail Army. Look at these people. They, they don't know how to fix this, you know? And like, he's laughing loud. Now, all of these people, if you know what, don't know what Fail Army is, it's like this YouTube channel of people that make constant mistakes and, and fail, right? So now he's laughing and I'm looking at these people and I'm like, I'm so sorry about this, you know? And so we get my family and it's like, time to leave everybody. So, so we want to get out there. And, and, you know, the thing that he found so funny is that these guys were trying as hard as they could. They were never going to fix that horse into a unicorn. They were never going to make it what they wanted it to be. And I kind of feel like the devil does that to us sometimes, who laughs at people who try constantly to try to live up to the impossible standard that they know they can never meet. See, try as hard as you want. You will not fix the problem called sin. You can try any way you want. People have been trying for thousands of years and failed. Here's why it's serious. Eternity hangs in the balance. Now, if you think that you need to be good to get into heaven, you're wrong. You need to be perfect. And perfection is a problem because nobody's perfect. In fact, the scriptures say this, they put it this way. They said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, every single person that's in this room today has not lived up to the standard that God has set. There are just some messes you can't undo. It was a historical fact that death had a 100% strike rate from the time of Adam, Adam onwards. People kept dying. And the reason why they did is because Adam and Eve had broken a covenant relationship with God. 
When I say the word covenant, a covenant is like a promise where two parties will come together and they will agree on terms and conditions. But once a covenant is broken, you can't just piece it back together. You need a new covenant that supersedes the one that was broken. You need to have a new covenant again. The reason why the covenant with Adam was so serious was because the penalty attached to it was death. Now this puts God in a serious predicament here because on one hand, He can't just ignore the fact that people are sinning and He already said that the penalty was death. So what's He supposed to do? Because He desperately loves people and He doesn't want them to pay the penalty. But God has a plan. And I don't know if some of you are vegans, you are not going to like this plan. I hope that we have no one that was camping out in the CBD for Peter the other week in the service today because you are not going to like this plan either. Here's the plan. God said the penalty needs to be paid, but I will take a substitute in your place since I don't want you to die. And so what they did is they would sacrifice sinless animals in the place of sinful people. And if that sounds unfair to you, it is. And if it sounds grotesque to you, that animals would be killed for the sins of people, it is. It's God making the link that sin equals death. And it is incredibly serious. And it's something that you need to deal with. Paul, the apostle, he he said this. He said, the problem is you can kill as many animals as you want, but people aren't getting better. Sacrifice as many animals as you want, but people, they are not becoming more moral. All we're doing year after year when we sacrifice these animals is we're just atoning for the sins of people, but we're not improving as human beings. We're not actually getting better. Sin has permanently stained us and we're appeasing the sentence, but we're not dealing with the root of the issue. That's something that we need to deal with. He said it this way. He said, the blood of bulls and goats will never be enough to permanently remove sin. See, God wants you to know that Sin is serious and He loves you. And this is a problem that you cannot fix, but you don't have to worry about that because God came down from heaven to earth to fix a problem you were never going to be able to solve. It says that He sent one man to represent all people and His name is Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, the impossible, fully God, fully man, all at the same time. See where Adam, Adam was created completely by God and life was breathed into him. Jesus came from heaven and stepped down onto planet earth to rescue it and to save it. He would represent humanity and be the sinless sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world, only when Jesus did it. See, you have to appreciate the magnitude magnitude of who Jesus really is. If you don't know who Jesus is, you're not going to understand this. The significance of God putting Himself on the cross and dying for sins is like taking all the water in the world and pouring it on a match. In other words, it's overkill. 
It's more than enough. And you might be sitting here today and even reflecting on your own life, you see things in your life that you know are wrong, things that you feel guilty about, things that bring shame into your world, issues that you're presently dealing with right now. It's secret. No one knows about it. And you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Well, you don't have to because Christ did. And the blood that was shed for you means that His grace is more than enough. It is completely sufficient for all your insufficiencies, for all the mistakes that you've made. He is enough what He did. And it gets better than that because He didn't just take away sin. This is the reason why we don't sacrifice animals anymore. Because the moment that Jesus died, it was significant enough to never do another sacrifice again. It meant that for all time, history and moving forwards into the future, that if anybody would ever just call on the name of Jesus, that in that moment, their sins would be forgiven. Why? Because it was God that died on the cross that day, because He is enough. Don't look for sufficiency in yourself. Look for it in your Saviour. So here He is before He dies. In the garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, medical professionals will tell you that if a person is stressed enough that it's possible that their capillaries can break and they can sweat drops of blood, and you know why he's stressed, right? Because growing up as a little boy, being familiar with the Scriptures, he would have known everything that we read today. He knew his future. He knew he was going to die. Worse than that, he knew the way in which he would die. Did you know that the Scriptures say that he would be so badly beaten that he would be unrecognizable as a human? That you wouldn't be able to tell who he was. You don't think that he was stressed about that? He's praying. He says in the garden, God, if there's any other way, but there wasn't because there was still a penalty that needed to be paid. And if you know the story, Judas comes and he points him out and they take him away. The soldiers lead him away and they bring him before the Sanhedrin, which is the religious board of uh, elders. And they convene this board at a time when it was illegal. you, You couldn't do it at that time of the day. And yet they did it because they had to find this man called Jesus guilty. They brought in person after person to try to pin something on him. We got to find a way to punish this guy publicly so the message that he's spreading would be stopped. But it's really hard to pin something on a guy that's never sinned in his life. So they sent in witness after witness. Their testimonies all conflicted. They said, we can't figure out how we're going to get this guy. So they ask him a question and they say, are you the Christ? And you might not know this because when you read your gospel, it just says, are you the Christ? But that question was an important question. It's called the oath of testimony. And it would be a question that would be asked of people when they couldn't find a way to hang them. They would ask them this question, the oath of testimony. And you ask this question and it demands an honest answer. And they say, are you the Christ? And he knew everything that was about to happen to him. Don't you see? At this very moment, if he turns around and says to the Sanhedrin, I'm not who you think I am or who people say I am. He gets to walk out life intact. But something was keeping him in that spot of judgment. 
There was a reason why he would not step out from that place and not walk away and escape with his own life. You see, Jesus knew at that very moment, if I turn and run now, the sins of the world will not be forgiven and I can't afford for that to happen. So he turns and he says to them, I am. I am the Christ. He made a reference to God and He said, I am. And they said, this is it. We've got Him now. He said, you never had me. You didn't have me. I put myself on the cross. I gave you that testimony. I choose to go because I came to save people that were far from God. So there He was and they took Him. They took Him to Pilate. Pilate could find nothing wrong with Him. Pilate find out, finds out he's a Galilean, so he sends him to Herod. Herod interviews him over a long period of time. Herod can't find anything wrong with him, so he sends him back to Pilate. The Jews are saying, we've got to do something about him. We've got to punish him. So what they say is that Pilate says, well, fine, we're going to have him scourged. And you, and you read that word, and maybe it's just a word. Maybe you don't fully appreciate what it means. But let me tell you this. A lot of people that were scourged and also meant to be sent to the cross never made it to the cross because they died during that process. See, when somebody is scourged, what they did is they would take a, a cat of nine tails is what they call it. At the end of that, of, of the leather parts of that whip, it had solid metal balls. And the reason they had those there was so it would tenderize the flesh on Jesus's body. They did that so that when the hooks that were attached to the whip would dig into his skin, it would easily rip away the flesh that had been tenderized. And so ribbons of his flesh would have been hanging from his back. They say people that were scouts had their ribs exposed and they would die right there, profusely bleeding, blood pooling on the ground. But Jesus didn't because he, he knew he had to go to the cross. So they, they take him and eventually they lead him to the cross. And I don't know if you know this about the cross, but when they put him up there, the Romans crucified him, but the Romans never invented crucifixion. See, the way that someone would die when they were crucified is that you would die of asphyxiation. Because as you hang there with your arms on the cross, as you slump lower and lower, you would start to not be able to breathe. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they became experts in prolonging death that was so good at it and they would stretch death out for so long that they created a word to describe the pain that people would experience on the cross. That word is the word we have, excruciating. The word excruciating was uniquely designed to explain the severe agony and the intensity of the cross. It was a shameful death reserved for those that should be punished publicly. And it wasn't, it wasn't like what you see often when you see little pictures of Jesus hanging on the cross. He would have been stripped naked. Sometimes they would even put people on the cross at eye level so that passers-by could look at them and see them and judge them face to face. So people being hung there for up to nine days over that period of time while they suffocated, they would see people walking by and often people would use their last breaths to spit on those that are watching and to curse them. And with Jesus' last breath, He said, forgive them. Forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. He used His last breaths to bless people that hung Him on the cross. 
and it says that he gave up his spirit and he says it was finished. And when he said it was finished, it was all the work that would be required to remove your sin from you. It says that he gave up his life and it was finished. The penalty had been paid. The sacrifice had been made. And by the grace of God, the biggest mess, the one that you could never fix, had finally been done. You see, Jesus was never sent into the world to condemn the world. But in order that it would be saved by Him. It says that one man, or that death ruled by one man, but it was totally destroyed by another. And His name is Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet? Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.